0: We'll take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This is a letter to the church, a corrective letter, and Paul is correcting several things and in this chapter we've seen him correcting their view of pastors and elders what does a pastor and elder really look like? What What is his role, his responsibility? What is his requirement? But he's also reproaching the congregation for their pride and their quarreling and division, division over these things. And we come to a, a passage of Scripture this morning, a text, that I have to tell you that is not really the type of text that I would like to just preach to you. That if I had my own choice... It is it is not one of those that is a feel good type thing, but what I have found is is that when we as a church are faithful to preach the gospel and preach the Word of God systematically verse by verse book by book that what happens is is that God in his providence gives us what we need in our t- in our day and time He gives us what we need now and and it wasn't me, it wasn't you, but it was him who, who has brought us to this text. And what's amazing is, is that it is extremely relevant considering the day that we are living in. And all that we've seen in the last week or two. Let me take that back. And all that we've seen in the last year. And everything that we have seen politically. And everything that we have seen with uh, COVID and religion and churches and everything that we have seen this past year, we come this morning to a text that I hope will encourage you when we get to the end. But it will be a reality check for us this morning. And so, as Paul is dealing with Corinth and the sin that this church is that this church has, he, we come to these verses, these very few verses, where he's going to give them as I call a reality check. And then from that, he's going to show us four elements of this new reality, that the church is reviled by the world, the church is rebuked by the world, the church will suffer in the world, but the church will exhibit the power of God in the world. And so if you will, I want you to see this this morning as we come to the sermon that I've entitled, The Scum of the Earth. Look with me in verse 8 this morning. He says, He says, You are already filled, you have already become rich, and you have become kings without us. And indeed, I wish that you had become kings, so that we also might reign with you. For I think that God has exhibited us, apostles, last of all, as men condemned to death. Because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. And we are fools for Christ's sake. But you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. And to this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty, and are poorly clothed, and roughly treated and homeless, and we toil working with our own hands, and we are reviled, or when we are reviled, we bless. And when we are persecuted, we endure, and when we are slandered, we conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. May God bless the reading and preaching of His Word this morning. In 1999 there was a movie that came out that some of you probably have not seen and others may, yeah, I guess you you were. It was a movie that debuted in theaters in 1999 and it was a, a instant success due to its uh, stunning visuals, the, the characters, the actors who played the characters and the action-packed scenes. The name of the movie was The Matrix. And what also made this movie rather successful there in the beginning like all movies they tend to as they continue to add sequel after sequel they tend to get a little worse but what made this movie rather successful was was its compelling storyline and the story that it told now the way that this went was was that the hero of the story was nothing more than an average joe a man who worked with computers, maybe he was a computer programmer or something like that. I haven't seen it or, or, or anything in such a long time. But he was just an average individual person living an average life, just like everyone else. Until one day, all of that changed and he was confronted with some, some strange individuals. And so these individuals come to him and, and through a bunch of... Things, they finally come to this point in the movie that has, that that many have even used now as a political, uh, illustration of going from one political party to another. And so the, the, the individual looks to this guy who's the hero, but he doesn't know it yet. And he, he tells him, he says, he says, you are living a lie, but I can show you the truth. You are living a lie, I can show you the truth. You believe that what you see around you and what you feel and and, and all the things that you've experienced, you believe this is the reality. But he says, I'm here to show you the truth. And he says, you have a choice to make. And so he makes the choice to see the truth. And the truth was that everything that he knew was fake. And that the real reality was a darker, more terrifying reality. He received what many have called a reality check. A reality check is when you believe one thing, but someone confronts you or through evidence of something else, your reality changes. You see the, the wool is pulled off, the blinders are taken off, and you see the truth of what is going on. It means that your view of reality has been corrected. You are no longer blind to what is going on around you that was unseen? What we have in these verses this morning, beloved, is a reality check. The Corinthians had become prideful; they were puffed up and arrogant. They were a church that 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 uh, that had a false reality due to this pride. They believed that they were friends of the world. They loved the philosophers of their day. They loved the language of their of their culture. They they tolerated sin. There's all kinds of things here going on. And so they saw the church as friends of the world and they themselves as kings within this world. They preferred worldly favor and acceptance over unity within the brethren. It's better for us to be divided in here so that we may be accepted out there. They liked the speeches that entertained and tickled the ear rather than sermons that discipled the Christian. They favored preachers with flair. Preachers who would draw crowds rather than the preachers who preach sound teaching. They chose the philosophies of the world rather than the doctrines of Christ. The gospel was too simple. We need something more. They believed worldly wisdom carried with it strength, but the gospel was weak and lower level. I mean, that's what we did to get saved, but we're past that now, right? And they saw themselves as kings in a world rather than servants of of God's spiritual kingdom. For the Corinthians, up was down and down was up. Left was right, right was left. And so Paul now, in these verses, he's going to seek to educate them on the true reality of Christian faith. How does he do this? How is Paul going to pull the blinders off of their eyes and show them and shake them up and say, no, no, you've got it all wrong. This is what, this, excuse me, this is what Christianity looks like. Notice what he says in verse nine. For I think God has exhibited us apostles. The Greek means display, a display to demonstrate purposes. You see, Paul is going to show them the the truth by saying, you need to look at us, you need to look at me. Now, I know that sounds a little arrogant, but the Bible is very clear, and Paul's going to say this later on, that the apostles were given to us first, then comes the preachers and the teachers and the deacons and everything else. The apostles are first, they were and are today the foundation of the church with Christ as its cornerstone, We see this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Therefore, they are a good example of what the church, what Christianity is to be like. They are a good example and demonstrates to us what we are to expect in this world. And so this is why Paul was able to say in verse 16, and we'll look at this next week, where he says, Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. Act like me. This is why Paul said last week that I've applied all these things to me in Apollos so that you may learn. The student is never above the master. And so he says to the Corinthians, you need a reality check. You need a picture of what real Christianity is in this world because you're not it. And I believe the events of the past few weeks and even the past year have served to give the American church today a reality check, much like the, uh, the Corinthians. For a long time now, the church in America has believed its friendship with the world would be the savior of its trials and its tribulations. That if we can get along with the world, America will be different. We, we believe that if we voted the right people in and we did the right things and we acted the right ways and we kind of did a few things differently right that, that that we just weren't really if we just we just weren't overbearing on this thing here or that thing there then then we can then we can live in harmony with the world and we can be at peace and so therefore we've preferred ourselves community prominence rather than spiritual faithfulness we focused on the exciting programs and the ministries and the these different marketing methods the way the world does business thinking that we would reach the masses and grow our church that way rather than just preaching the simple gospel and doing one-on-one evangelism. We hoped in conservative politics that we would somehow find the answer to the moral decay of the culture rather than preaching law and gospel. We believed that taking prayer out of school was far worse than not praying at home. We thought that due to physical prosperity, we thought ourselves superior as kings in this world. When spiritually, we are spiritually poor and starving. And churches have favored the dog and pony show more than the genuine preaching on the Word of God. So like the Corinthians, our standard of Christianity is twisted. Up is down, down is up. And like them, we too need a reality check. I believe many have found themselves over the last few weeks looking at the, the political spectrum of the world and looking at things happening and wondering what has happened. Why did we wake up to a, this world? This world, it looks different. And many are anxious. And many are fearful. What if? What if we have to suffer? What if the church... And Christians will have to endure some type of hardship. And Paul says, in these verses, that's the way it's always been. Paul reminds the Christians at Corinth that faith is not viewed successful because it gets along with the world. But instead, true faithfulness to God is actually the exact opposite. Notice first this morning what he says in verse nine and then also in verse thirteen. The Christians, the church will be reviled by the world. He says, For I think God has exhibited us, apostles, last of all, as men condemned to death. Because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. Then look at verse thirteen. When we he, or verse, I'm sorry, back at verse twelve, the very in the middle. He says, In verse twelve, When we were persecuted, we endure um, or I'm sorry, when we were reviled, we blessed. When we were persecuted, we endured. And when we were slandered, we tried to conciliate or to show grace. This books marks these two things bookmark the, the text. And they're saying the same thing. Paul is telling the, Corinth, the Corinthian Christians that the world does not like faithful Christianity. The world does not like faithful churches. In verse 9, Paul describes a well-known Roman scene. It was well known within Rome that when Rome would go to war and they would win the battle, that Rome would come back in all of its glory. They would open, they would swing open the, 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 the wall, the uh, gates of the wall, and a parade would come through. And there at the front of the parade would be the politicians, those who favored the war, those, those who, who were at home doing the, the real hard work, you know? And so they would go through the streets, and then behind them would be the, the generals, and then maybe behind them would be the, the soldiers who stood out in battle. They would have drummers and they would have the spoils of war brought before all the gold and all the silver. And then the army would come, some riding on horses and some riding in chariots. And there at the end of the line, there in chains and shackles, the prisoners of war shackled to the chariots would be dragged through the streets of Rome. And you know where they would go? They would go to the Colosseum. And there, in the Colosseum, they would be placed in prison until finally a day would come where everyone in Rome would gather in the Colosseum like a big theater, like a movie theater. And there, they would reenact the war, they would reenact the battles. And there, at the very end, the scum of the earth, the worst of the worst, those who who deserve nothing from Rome will be brought out for nothing more than the amusement of the people thrown to the wild animals that they may be slaughtered and killed verse 12 and 13 Paul says that we are the scum of the earth we are those who are first to be sacrificed those who matter little to the world and then the dregs is the scraps on the plate that are raked right into the trash can this is not how you would have defined Christianity would it? right? It's not how I want to define Christianity but this is the reality of the world that we live in. Beloved, you and I live in a world that reviles Christianity. Paul's point is very clear. Faithful Christians will be reviled and despised by the world. Why? Why, why, <coughs> why can't the world and faithful Christians just get along? Notice that I used the word faithful. That's very key. We'll get to that in a moment. But let me explain to you Why? In John chapter 15, verse 18 and 19, Jesus said this to his disciples before he died. He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. You were of the world. The world would love its own. If If you were like the world, they would love you. Interesting, Corinth. There's a reason, Corinth. They love you. Because you are like them. But I chose you, Christ said. I chose you out of the world. And because of this... The world hates you. F.E.C., we are despised because they despise Christ. The more faithful we are to Christ, the more faithful, the more they will despise us. The more faithful they will be in their, in their disapproval of us. So why do we begin to see now such an attack on morality, and why do we begin to see in our own culture an attack even against the even against the church and the church? And again, this is not political. I am not in one way will ever, ever link up Christianity, the hatred of Christianity, with the hatred of a political party. But know this: when there is no political parties left. And when there is no politicians left, the church is next. The church is next. So why is it that we are now beginning to see just a trickling of the water against the believers? And the answer is because we have compromised. We have compromised our faith The Bible is very clear that if you are a faithful Christian, beloved, that if you are a faithful church, if you are a faithful people unto God, you will suffer some. So why have we not? Because we have compromised in areas that we should have never compromised in. You don't believe me? I'll give you an example. In chapter 5 of Corinthians, we're going to get to a forgotten church practice. You no longer see it today. It's called church discipline. That when someone who is an unrepentant sinner publicly will refuses to repent, they are dealt with and held accountable by the church. When was the last time our church or any church that you know of in our lifetime has practiced church discipline? You want to know why? Because to practice Church discipline, you would be labeled judgmental. You will be called a bigot by your family, by your friends, by your neighbors. Those in the community will swear never to ever step foot into your church. That you would remove an unrepentant sinner? Facebook would light up and be overrun with people bashing the local church for such an unloving practice in which Christ says it is the greatest act of love that you could show. And so in order to be at peace with the world, the church has compromised and we have tolerated sin in the very place that God has said, you shall not tolerate unrepentant sin. We were faithful to the world instead of to Christ. And so there's no getting around it, beloved. The world reviles faithful Christianity. It reviles the faithful practices of Christianity. Christianity does not tolerate sin. Christianity preaches salvation through Christ and Christ alone. And that is enough for them to hate us. You say, but what is the application? I would say first, beloved, we must repent of the unfaithfulness as Christians. We must repent of the fear of losing our friendship with the world. And then I would say secondly, beloved, we need to ask God and seek God in prayer And in study that He may sanctify us for future faithfulness in this world. The day will come, FBC. The day will come when you and I are going to be tested in our faithfulness. There will be something somewhere along the way where we will have to choose. We will either choose to do what the Bible says to do. Or not do it in a way that we don't look as so bad to everybody else and we must be ready we must be ready but secondly not only are we reviled by the world and not only is Christianity hated by the world but we are rebuked and disapproved by the world look at verse 10 he says we are fools for Christ's sake but you are prudent in Christ we are weak but you are strong you are distinguished but we are without honor Paul gives three comparisons to illustrate the world's disapproval of Paul, of the apostles. He says, the world loves you, Corinth. They love you. They see you as strong, wise, and of honor, but not us. Why? Well, first, the apostles were considered fools for Christ. Why? Because they preached the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, if you preach only the gospel, and if you say the gospel is enough then you're, you're being told that, well, that's just, that's just foolish. And beloved, if you think that is not happening today, it is. Within the very seminaries, within the very SBC and the evangelical church and dealing with social issues right now, right now there is a war against the gospel being enough. We're being told that we're not intelligent enough to deal with the social issues of this world. The gospel is simply not enough. And because of that, we are foolish. Secondly, the apostle says we are weak because we relied on the power of God and the gospel for success in ministry. But the, Corinth, the Corinthians, no, they relied on their language. They relied on the power and the strength of men. That they gathered the favor of the world. Paul says we rely on the power of the gospel in Christ, the Holy Spirit. And that is seen as weakness to them. But thirdly, the apostles were without honor. Why? Because they garnered no favor with the world. The world disapproves of them. It disapproves of their methods and their, uh, of their reasoning, of their wisdom. Beloved, the world will not only revile faithful Christianity, but it rebukes it as foolish, weak, and without honor. Stephen, in Sunday school this morning, did not go down in the history books of the, Jew, of the Jewish school system as a hero. He was the villain. You will not go down in the history books of this world as the hero, but the villains. Why? Because you are without honor in the eyes of the world. They disapprove of your God and our convictions. And it's the whole reason for the separation of church and state, which has nothing to do with keeping the church out of the state, but everything to do with keeping the state out of the church Right? But they scream this all day long. Why? Because they disapprove of our Savior. This is the why, less and less faithful Christians, politicians, Christian politicians will be elected to office. Why? Sound doctrine does not win votes. Christ alone. Christ alone for salvation and entering into the gates of heaven are not going to win you any votes in this world. Intolerance to sin, calling what is sinful, sinful in this world will not win you any votes. The gospel, repentance, and faith as the solution and the only solution to our moral decay will not win any votes. The world does not value our faith. It rebukes our faith. Because it rebukes our Lord. And so, application here, beloved, is very important. So, hear me on this that in the days to come, you must know this that we as a church, hear me, we must, we must not judge our beliefs and our decisions based upon approval from a lost and dying world. Do not go home and think that you are weak and foolish. And without honor because you stood on the word of God. Because some politician or some some news network or social media decided that what you believed about the Bible, what you began to stand on, is wrong and not it's not accepted by the world. Do not believe that for one moment. Because in the eyes of the world, it is foolish, weak, and without honor. But in the eyes of the one who matters, in the eyes of the king of kings, you are wise and you are strong and you are honored and loved by him how many times have we based our decisions as a church based upon what the culture said was right rather than what God has proclaimed as right. Oh, beloved, beloved, this is... We must repent and we must change our standard. FPC, hear me this morning, that you must know that in the days to come, That you and I must be on our knees in prayer. We must be in the word reading. So that when we come to make a decision as a congregation, we are making decisions based upon what God says in his word. Not how it makes us feel. Not what it makes us look like in the world. But thirdly, notice what he says in verse 11. This may be the hardest one of all. He says, To the present hour we are both hungry and thirsty. We are poorly clothed. (coughs) (laughs) and we are roughly treated and we are homeless and we toil working with our own hands in other words he is saying that the Christian will suffer in this world faithful Christianity will lead to suffering in the last few days I believe that some Christians have awoken to the fact that you know suffering may actually be a reality for us we may actually endure some hard times in our life and I'm not just talking about persecution suffering is not new beloved to the world Suffering didn't happen the day COVID came to our shores. We have suffered the world. God's people have suffered all the way back when Adam ate of the forbidden fruit and was kicked out of the garden. And by the sweat of his brow, he had to work. He had to deal with sickness. He had to deal with, with his son being killed by his, own, by his other son. We have been dealing with suffering all of our life. Suffering is not new to Christianity. And it's not all persecution. Many of what Paul gives us here is due to sacrifice. That the Christian is willing to sacrifice the comforts and the ease of this world to be faithful to God. Did you hear what I said? That the suffering that we endure is by our own doing. Because we chose the path less traveled. We chose the narrow road. When we think of narrow, everyone wants to think that it's just a smaller road. But you know what the word narrow means? When Christ said, enter by the the narrow gate and the narrow road, it means compressed. It means hard. He meant persecution. He meant that if you walk this road, you are going to feel compressed. The world is going to come against you. It's not an easy road. And we're not even talking persecution. What do you mean? Look what Paul said this very present now we're hungry and thirsty why why is paul hungry and thirsty because paul has chosen a life of faithfulness he has chosen that he has chosen to be obedient to the life that god has called him to be in proclaiming the gospel to the world and guess what that doesn't fill his bank account He's not, he, it's not that he's not rich. It's not that he's not, not blue collar. It's not that he's even in the middle. Paul is saying, because of what I am doing for Christ, there are nights that I go to bed, I am hungry and thirsty. I could eat my fill in Jerusalem as a Pharisee, but this is the life that I've been called to. And at night, there are nights that I go to bed, I'm hungry and thirsty. He says, I'm poorly clothed. Peter's poorly clothed. The Greek literally means at times that he's almost naked. That he goes to bed at night and he doesn't have the the warmth of a cloak to cover his body. Why? Because he has no money. He has no possessions of this world. He says, we're roughly treated, we're buffeted. It means that they were beaten and physically abused for their faithfulness to God. The gospel will bring about a physical abuse upon the church. You don't believe me? Go to China. We want to act like there's no tribulation. There's no, there, there, there's no persecution and suffering anywhere else in the world because we don't see it here. But beloved, our brothers and sisters are being, are being killed and thrown into camps and having everything taken away from them because of their faith in Christ. Go to China. Go to the Middle East. They are treated roughly. Paul says, I have no home. Because I am being faithful to the call to obedience to me. He says, I toil and I labor. In other words, the Greek expresses I labor to the point of exhaustion. He he works to get the scraps of food that he can eat, but he also works to pay and do, do the ministry that he has. Everything that Paul gives here in this list is the very opposite of the American dream. The American dream is that you and I can be faithful unto Christ and then and also live in harmony with the world and never have to suffer, never have to sacrifice, and never have to do any of those things. But Paul says differently. But why? Why does Paul? go without food? And why is Paul poorly clothed? And why is Paul accepting the treatment of being buffeted and roughly treated? Why why is Paul sacrificing all the comforts of this world that the gospel may go forth into all of the world that people may be saved? Why would he do this? Philippians chapter 3. Don't miss this. Philippians chapter 3 verse 7. He says, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ more than More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith that I may know Him, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead, Paul says, why do I suffer? That I may know Christ. This is not work salvation. This is not that I have to give everything up to be saved. This is sanctification. This is deeper knowing of Christ. Paul says that I may know him, that I may, you want to know somebody, you walk in their shoes. And so Paul is suffering for the gospel, say he understands Christ deeper than you and I will ever know because he has suffered in ways that Christ only has suffered. Paul says, what is the answer to the reason why I sacrifice everything and the reason I accept whatever misfortune may come my way? Because of faithfulness, again, this is because of faithfulness the Christ. This is not suffering just because for other things. This is faith. This is suffering that comes for the faithfulness of Christ. He says that I may know Christ and His sufferings greater than any worldly comfort. Did you hear that, beloved? Faithful Christians count it all rubbish to gain a greater knowledge and a greater relationship with Christ. Food, rubbish. Faithfulness to Christ, that's greater. Clothes, rubbish. Faithfulness to Christ, greater. My physical health, my fear of death, rubbish. Fellowship to Christ. Fellowship in Christ's sufferings, greater. Beloved, here's the reality check that the church of today needs. Needs. Is that the church is not, that the future of the church will not be peaceful. It's not always going to be peaceful. It's not to say that you and I are going to endure the same things with Paul, but it is to say that you and I must accept the fact that faithfulness unto Christ will bring forth choices of sacrifice, moments where we will have to sacrifice the comforts and the goods of this world that we may gain the greater treasures, knowing Christ, suffering with Christ. Our faith will bring about persecution. John 15:20 Remember the word that I said to you a slave is not greater than his master. Because we follow in the footsteps of our Savior, we will also follow in his trials and his tribulations. So what do we do? You have a blue pill and you have a red pill. Not political, the movie The Matrix. You have a choice. Do you want this reality, the fake reality, or do you want this? We live faithfully, no matter the cost. We worship no matter if we lose our life. We proclaim Christ no matter if if they take our possessions. We disciple our family. Parents, hear me this morning. Grandparents, hear me this morning. I need you to hear me. The greatest thing that you can do for your children... The greatest thing that you can give your children for this future, the greatest thing that you can do for them today that will impact them and make them the men and women of God of tomorrow is that you would pour Christ into them Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Disciple your kids. Disciple them to know Christ and His grace Not only that, beloved, we never tolerate sin, even if it means that we must come to harm. We never tolerate sin. Now, many of you are probably ready to check out. This is not an easy sermon. But that leads me now to the very fourth point, so don't check out just yet. Christians will exhibit the power of God in this reality. Christians will exhibit power in this world. Look at verse 12 and 13. He says, when we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate or show grace. He says, we'll just stop there. Those three things. He says, when we, when we go through these persecutions and we go through these sufferings, he says, we will bless. What does bless mean? When I am reviled, when I am hated, what it was blessed me. It means that I will give God praise. I will praise God. There's a beautiful There's a beautiful story there in Acts where Peter is in jail and the people are or Peter and John go before the Sanhedrin. I'm sorry, they go before the Sanhedrin. They're told to stop preaching Christ. They beat them. They send them out. All that kind of stuff. And what did Peter and John do? They go and have a big prayer meeting. And what do they do? They praise God. They say, God, thank you that you allow us the blessing to come into your presence, to come into your suffering. I read this morning the, the prayer of Polycarp to my Sunday school class. When they lit the fire on Polycarp, what did he do? God, I give you glory and honor and praise that I get to suffer in the way that Christ suffered. So Paul says that when we suffer and when we go through things, he says, what are we going to do? Are we going to complain about it? Are we going to be angry and resentful toward those who come against us or angry and resentful that our choices have brought hardships upon us? No. He says, we praise God for these things. What in the world is he talking about? Who does that, Right? Then he says what? He he says that we endure that when we are persecuted, that when we are when we are abused, he says we endure, we persevere to the end. We hold on. How many of you want to just give up at times, right? We want to quit. But what keeps us from quitting? But the power of God The apostle says, not only that, he says, then they slander us, but we show them grace. They call us names. They tell us we're weak. They tell us we're fools. They tell us we have no honor. But we show them grace and love them. We we exhort them to follow Christ. We exhort them to know the salvation that we have. How? In every example, the apostle is demonstrating here the power of God in Christ. Paul does it again in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verses 8 through 12. Listen to what he says to Timothy. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, a descendant of David according to the gospel, for which I suffer hardships even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not in prison. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and in the eternal glory. You, you see what he's saying there? He's saying that I'm doing all of these things for him. I'm doing, I'm doing all of these things for the name of Christ. In chapter 1 he says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, or of me as prisoner, but join with me in the suffering of the gospel, according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I am appointed a preacher and apostle and a teacher for this reason I also suffer these things but I am not ashamed for I know whom I believe and I am convinced that he is able to guard that I've entrusted to him until that day Timothy you're going to suffer with me Timothy you're going to suffer how by relying on the power of God the power of God beloved it's not found in no suffering the power of God is not found when a church buddies up to the world and, and is accepted by the world. The power of God is not found when we change our convictions and our method that they may be seem honorable within the world. The power, <coughs> the power of God, is not found in those type of things. No, the power of God is found that when we bless and when we endure and when we show grace. The power of God is not at the front of the world's parade. It's at the back. Christians, we exhibit and display and we demonstrate to all the world, to men and to angels, the power of God when we suffer for Christ. Because you can't make it without it. You can't bless, you can't endure, and you cannot show the grace of God that saves sinners. So when we go through these things, the world will witness a power that is not its own, a power that saves, a power that sanctifies, a power that cannot be scared into silence, a power that cannot be killed, a power that cannot be locked up, a power that cannot even be buried. They will witness this power through the church and they will know that it is not the power of men, but the power of God. And so, when we compromise, beloved, to gain favor, to be approved, to not suffer in this world, we are covering up our, the power of God. And so, I say to you this morning, am I worried and am I anxious about things that take place around us? Absolutely. I would not, I would be lying to you today if I don't sometimes wake up and look at what's going on and wonder, what mess are we in? Do I believe that suffering is inevitable for all God's people? Yes. But I'm, am I also excited? Absolutely. You say, why? Because I'm given a promise. Because I am promised that the world will see the power of God, not in a nation. And some of us are so worried about the nation that we're not worried about the church. Hear me this morning. God is far less concerned about nations and far more concerned about his church. Why? Because the nations will not exhibit the power of God. The church will We're told that even if the nations come against us, God will build his church. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus and the disciples, they were in this place called Caesarea Philippi. I've been there. Almost a year ago, I was there. I actually got to preach there, and it was one of the most interesting places I've ever been, opportunities I've ever got to preach. When you go to Caesarea Philippi, beloved, you gotta know that Caesarea Philippi was a place that the Romans had occupied, and, and there were soldiers everywhere. In Matthew 16, Jesus and disciples, they go there. Probably not right there in the center of it, but somewhere around that area. But it is a dark and evil place. It is a it is a horrifying place. There is a massive cave. And there, within that cave, the Greeks, these religious cults. Would take humans and they would sacrifice them, burn them in that cave. They would kill them as a human sacrifice to their gods. And there, to the right of the cave, there would have been a shrine. And to the right of there, there was the there is what used to be a temple. And there, in the temple, it was some of the most perverted sexual acts that ever has taken place in the history of mankind. It was an evil and dark place. And so in that place right there, Jesus brings his disciples in Matthew 16. And he looks to the disciples and he says to them, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist and some you know, say you're one of the prophets. And he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are Christ. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, you need to understand something. If a Roman or a Jew who was not in that group would have heard Peter say that, they were dead. They were gone. They would have been drugged to Caesar because Peter just claimed that Christ was greater than Caesar. But Jesus' response, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter... The confession here, on the rock, I will build my church. On the confession that I am Christ and that I am the King of kings and Lord of lords, I will build my church. And then he says, the gates of hell. What was the cave where people sacrificed, other humans called? But literally, the gates of hell will not overpower it. Jesus points to the most horrifying symbol in that area. It is the most dark and terrifying place. And he says, not even the wickedness and the evil of that can overcome my church. Almost a year ago, I stood there and I preached the gospel there. And do you know what I found? After 2,000 years, do you want to know what I saw in Caesarea Philippi? Ruins. Ruins. There's no temple. There's no shrine. There's a cave. But it's all been destroyed. It's all been gone. And I came home. I got on a plane and I flew across the ocean. And I came home to what? To stand in the very church of God. Because he made me a promise. Caesarea Philippi is in ruins. But the church of God flourishes all over the world. FBC, here's the reality, Jake, that we need to remember today is, is that Christ is going to build his church. The world will revile us. The world will rebuke us. The world may make us suffer for the faithfulness of Christ. But God's power in the church will not be stopped. And it will flourish and it will grow. And that should excite every one of us in here today. That God is about to grow his church. He may not grow a nation. He may not grow other nations. They may become more wicked and more evil. But he has made us a promise today that you and I are to focus on the church because this church, his church, if we are faithful, guess what he will do right here in Jonesboro, Louisiana? He will grow it. How? By the power of God. But what if they hate us? He will grow it. What if they disapprove of all that we do? He will grow it. What if we have to suffer? He will grow it. So rejoice, beloved. Though the world hates us, the power of God will bless the world, will bless His people in the world. Rejoice, beloved, that the world may come against us, but though it may come against us, we will endure to the end and rejoice that though they may slander us, you have the power of God this morning. To show them the grace of God that saves sinners, which we are the worst of. I know that many of you are worried and anxious about what is taking place around us in our country. But hear me this morning, beloved. The blinders need to come off, and you need to see that what God is doing in the church, because God is growing the church. And God's going to bless the church. And if you and I, FBC, are faithful, if we are faithful, He is going to bless our church. He will not leave us nor forsake us. We may not, be, we may not grow in the numbers. We may not be a megachurch, but He will grow us in ways that you and I have never believed praise God to all who all blessings flow and to the promise that he gives and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it let's pray